Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you today. I thank you for joining me. We are in the crux of Christmas time here in, in, in America, and Christmas is less than a week away at the time of this recording. So I would like for us to consider some Christmas messages in a brief series for the next several days. Maybe it will extend to two or three weeks. There are some factors affecting me and my ability to produce many of these testimonies, many of these teachings. And um, so I will do my best to complete this, but it may be extended for a little while, even beyond Christmas or the New Year. But that's okay. The message of Christmas is for all times and for all people. And so I'd like for us to consider this. Last year I did several Christmas messages, one of which was called Treasures of the Nativity. And we looked at several different sparkling gems drawn from the Nativity message. This year I want to focus on the King born in Bethlehem. Treasures of the Nativity with the subtitle of The King Born in Bethlehem. Hallelujah. In this lesson, lesson one, I want to look at the anticipated king. One of the early visitors who visited the newly born king came asking the question, where is he who is born king of the Jews? In this short Christmas special series, we want to learn more about this one who is born, was born king of the Jews in Bethlehem. In this first lesson, we want to identify who this one is and how do we know that he is the one. In discovering these truths in this series, we will learn more about the importance of both the Old and the New Testaments and how they fit together perfectly like a hand in glove. In today's society, we must resist and refuse the notion that the Old Testament is not for today. This is a lie. Both fit together and are in sync in every way. And we seek to discover and explore these in every study that we undertake, including these associated with the coming of the Old Testament prophesied and promised Messiah, the one we celebrate at this time of year. Although there are disagreements about the Christmas season, most all of Christianity agrees to its foundational basis. It is referencing and celebrating the birth of the Messiah King. So we will begin to learn more about this event itself and the central person that is celebrated in it. In lesson one here, we will look at more about the anticipated King. Why is this true and how can we be sure? So let's start with a few foundational things that form our worldview that form our basis, that form our understanding. First of all, the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, is God's holy word. It includes the Tanakh, the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi in the Christian Bible, Genesis through Second Chronicles in the Hebrew scriptures. Those are all part of God's word, but those were not the complete word of God. The Old Testament, the Tanakh, left many things unfulfilled and unexplained in totality. 
And so we have Matthew through Revelation, which sums up all of those. There is an old phrase that says, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So in other words, there's truth in that, because in the Old Testament, sprinkled throughout, are many different prophecies, many different teachings, etc. And when you get to the end of the Old Testament, there's been many things that have been promised to come, but they've not yet arrived. And so you need the New Testament combined with that to interpret the Old and to show when and how these things were fulfilled. So God's Word, the whole of it, is His Word, and it is to be revered as Holy Scripture. It is the written record of God's words, His will, and His dealings throughout the annals of history. It is preserved for us from its beginning by the Jewish authors of the Old Testament through to the New, the times of Jesus and beyond. The Bible is a very much Jewish book. All of the authors are Jewish. There's only one that was in question primarily, and that was Luke. He had a Jewish mother and a Greek father. But other than that, all of the others were Jewish authors. The entirety of the Bible is one book with one author and one central figure. It is one book divided into two main sections. We have what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament, what the Jews call the Tanakh or the Hebrew Scriptures, and the Berit Kadashah, the Berit Kadashah, meaning the New Testament. The Old Testament sets up the New Testament. The Old Testament, again, is the New Testament concealed. It's like a box of puzzle pieces. Everything we need to understand is in there, but it's all jumbled together. And so you need the New Testament, which brings us the picture on the box, so to speak, where we see how it all fits together, where we see the beauty of everything that God put in the Old Testament. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The one author is the Holy Spirit of the living God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 through 21, Peter tells us that no prophecy of Old Testament, uh, no prophecy of old, is for any private interpretation, but holy men of God wrote as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. So there is one author throughout the whole book even though the whole of the book was written over centuries of time. The one author is the Holy Spirit, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who is eternally the same as the third person of the Godhead. It has one central figure, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is also this king born in Bethlehem. How do we know this to be true, that it's one central figure? Who is Jesus Christ, the king born in Bethlehem? Well, let's consider two main places in Scripture. The Word of God tells us that at the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing is established, and God will use that principle. He set it up. It's His principle, and He operates by it throughout Scripture. So we look, and we see all through Scripture that there are the mouth of two or three witnesses concerning various topics that are taught to us in the Bible. So let's look at the first one. It's found in Luke chapter 24, and I want to read verse 25 through 27, and then I want to jump down to verse 44 through 45. In Luke chapter 24, verse 25 through 27 says this, 
Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. He's talking about the prophets of old. He's talking about the Old Testament, Moses being the first of the prophets per se, all the way through Malachi. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, meaning Jesus, expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The whole of the Old Testament, every bit of it, was prophesying of Jesus, was pointing to Jesus, was promising Jesus. It was all about him. He is the central figure. Jesus repeats this to another group of people that same day later in the day. In verse 44 of that same chapter, Luke records, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. So here we have two references in Luke on that same day of his resurrection where Jesus made clear that the whole of the Old Testament, the whole of the Tanakh, was all about him. Then in John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus is speaking again, and he says this, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these, meaning these scriptures that you're searching, are they which testify of me. So we have two references In the New Testament, where Jesus explains that the Old Testament is all about me. Jesus is in all of the Old Testament throughout. Let's look at just a few quick examples. Genesis chapter 22, Abraham offering Isaac. Jesus is represented there as the substitute ram. He died in the place of Isaac. Exodus chapter 12, he's represented in the Passover lamb. Numbers chapter 21, the serpent on the pole that will bring healing, that will bring rescue, that will bring salvation. And Jesus himself connects this one in John chapter 3. In Daniel chapter 3, he's the fourth man in the fire with the three Hebrews. In Zechariah chapter 9, he is the coming king of Israel in humility, riding on the donkey. In Micah chapter 5 verse 2, he is the eternal one, Also in that passage, we learn that he is the one that will be born in Bethlehem. But he is also the eternal one, the one that has existed from of old, everlasting to everlasting. In Psalm chapter 2 and in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4 and 5, he is the coming Son of God come in the flesh. He is the Son of God, but now he is coming in the flesh. These are just to name a few. We cannot understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. For instance, the Magi and their visit in Matthew chapter 2. How do we understand any connection and why they came? How did they know to come? How did they know to come then? We need the Old Testament to help us understand that. A connection between Luke chapter 1, John and Jesus. Who is John who comes on the scene, John the Baptist? And then Jesus comes a little bit later and Jesus says, I have to go to the Jordan. I have to be baptized by John. 
And so he goes to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Why is that true? If you don't understand Isaiah 40 and Malachi chapter 3, for instance, as well as Psalm chapter 110 and others, you will not understand that connection. The baptism of Jesus is important, and we see the importance of that from Genesis chapter 49, verse 8 through 12, Psalm 110, and other places in the Old Testament. The crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, you have to connect those and understand them in light of Isaiah chapter 53, Psalm 118, and Psalm 22. So just like Jesus said, the Old Testament is all about him. And so he had a Bible study on the day of his resurrection, and he expounded to all of them the Old Testament scriptures, the Tanakh. And he showed them how throughout he is all in it, and it is all about him. So in this lesson, I want us to understand a little more about who this king born in Bethlehem is in light of him being the anticipated king. Let's begin where the wise men began. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? Notice what this question reveals right from the start. They knew that a king, a specific king, had been born in Israel. There had been other kings in Israel, and Herod was a king in Israel at this time, appointed by the Roman government. But they knew that a specific king had been born there. They anticipated him. They had anticipated his arrival. But why and how? They knew he was born there. They knew he was born there. They knew he had been born by this time, that he had come. He now had come, but he had been expected for quite some time. But why and how? At this time, when they arrived in Jerusalem, Israel's king, who had been anticipated for centuries, was now here. They just didn't know who he was or where he was. So they came to the capital of Israel, to the main city, Jerusalem. They came to the place that they would have expected the next king to be born and welcome and celebrated. And they spoke with the current king over that land, thinking and expecting that he would know of this new one. So realize they did not have any question about the position and title of the newborn king, They knew he was the newborn king born in Israel. They knew he was the king of the Jews. They knew his nationality was Jewish. They knew the land of his kingdom was Israel. And they knew how he was coming. He was to be born. How did they know this much? And who were these wise men? Where were they from? And where did they get their information from? Now, I'll give you a brief summary as we continue in this lesson, but I will mention to you that I've done a series in the past called Countdown to the Manger, and in that, in one of those lessons, I deal with the Magi, I deal with those wise men, I talk in detail about where they came from, how they knew to come, what connection did they have to the Jewish scriptures to even know them, and so I would encourage you, you can look that up, it's in the archives. I've done other Christmas specials also where I've brought this in. But let's talk about these magi. They were men that were skilled and eloquent and excellent in science, astronomy, math, leadership, and rule. There were some that speculate in some various ways of service and positions that they held 
that they were also spiritual leaders, uh, esteemed in perhaps astrology, official rulers and governmental authorities. They were Babylonian or Persian rulers, court officials. The Old Testament tells us a little about them through Daniel's example. You have to understand, Daniel is the connection to Matthew chapter 2. Daniel is the primary connection to these Magi. Let's look at this and see why this is true in Daniel chapter 2. And I want to begin the reading in Daniel chapter 2 in verse 1. And I want to read from 1 through 19 and then from 44 through 49. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and the interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time, because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. Now pay attention to this verse. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason the king was angry and very furious, and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Now why was that so? Because Daniel was among the wise men of Babylon. He had been trained by Nebuchadnezzar by the Babylonian schooling. He had been noticed by Nebuchadnezzar and was useful to Nebuchadnezzar in his court. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar had sent out the commandment. All of them were to be killed, including Daniel. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. This was the same as the three Hebrew boys 
We will read about more in Daniel chapter 3 as well, when you're reading in Daniel. That they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And then it goes on and it talks about how Daniel went to the king and how he told the king and he gave God all the glory. Yes, the Chaldeans were right in the sense that there was not a man on earth that could tell this, but there was a God in heaven, a living God in heaven, not the gods of heaven that they talked about because they worshiped many different gods. But the living God, the living God in heaven was able to interpret this and tell the king exactly what he dreamed and exactly what it meant. And so Daniel proceeds to do that. He tells him all about what he dreamed about this great statue and what each of the colors represented and the kingdoms that would come beyond Nebuchadnezzar and so forth. So he tells him all about this statue, what every part of it represents. And then in verse 44, it says this, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. So in other words, Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar, you can take this to the bank. This is exactly what will happen. God has revealed it. The context here is Nebuchadnezzar's troubling dream and he needs the interpretation of it. You see the Magi and their demise and how Nebuchadnezzar was coming after Daniel too. But Daniel prays and God answers. Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar the dream. And if you keep reading, you will see that Nebuchadnezzar promotes Daniel over and as head over the Magi. Specifically, Daniel is promoted over the Magi. Daniel would have become, I believe, like a hero, so to speak, for the Magi in that particular day because the king was killing them all until God intervened through Daniel and stepped into the situation, gave the answer, and then the king promoted him, and there was no more killing of the Magi. Daniel became elevated in that day. He became exalted above the Magi, and he had great influence over them, and I believe had great respect earned from them. Daniel was obedient to God. He lived the word of God. He lived in obedience to God's word. And he taught the scriptures. We see that evidenced in Matthew chapter 2. Because when the Magi come, they quoted and understood something from Numbers chapter 24 verse 17. Because they gave glory to this new king, Daniel's king, that finally came. And they described as having seen his star. This was a prophecy from Balaam who was a Transjordanian seer of that day, famous in that day from the eastern area. They would have 
possibly even known him or known of him. And so this prophecy is recorded in our Bibles in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. The Magi, the Bible tells us, is from the east. In the Bible, the east generally refers to east of Jerusalem, the Babylonian area, the Babylonian and Persian area. And if you'll recall, Daniel was with them and was highly esteemed and an official in the governments that came even after Nebuchadnezzar. He was with the Babylonians, and he was even into the Medes and Persians, which was Cyrus and Darius and so forth. So these Magi were taught and influenced by Daniel from the Old Testament scriptures, from Balaam's prophecy, and even from Daniel's own writings. Because we have the book of Daniel, where Daniel records many prophetic words, one of which is in Daniel chapter 9, verse 23 through 27. Daniel chapter 9, verse 23 through 27 records for us a timing of the coming of Messiah, the Messiah, the Prince. If you read those verses, you will find out that it's a prophecy about 70 weeks of years, of seven years each. And in that prophecy, Daniel tells us the exact timing factors of when to be looking for the arrival of the coming Messiah, the Prince King. He gives us the details of when to anticipate him. He gives us the details of the timeline of when he would come. This is Messiah, the Prince, the Captain, the Commander. A Prince would be one destined to be King. He was the one that had a destiny of a King. He was a King, so to speak, a King in waiting, if you will, heir to a throne and a kingdom. So the Magi knew at least these truths about this one who now had come. They knew he was Daniel's king. They knew he was Daniel's Messiah Prince that Daniel wrote about in Daniel chapter 9. They knew he was Daniel's king from chapter 2 and 7, where he would be given an eternal kingdom, and he would come and rule and reign. They knew he was Balaam's prophetic star to arise out of Jacob, out of Israel, from Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. And I believe they may have known other things, but these are the ones that we know definitely from Scripture that we can surmise, and I believe they were taught them through Daniel's teaching and interpretation of the Scriptures. They knew some factors of the timing, and they knew they were watching the clock. They knew that Daniel's prophecy told them that they were near the time of the Lord's return. And in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, you will see this confirmed by Paul, where Paul says, When the fullness of the time had come. What time? The time that God had prophesied through Daniel and others in the Old Testament. Jesus came. So when the star appeared, they were alerted. The star, there's all kinds of speculations on what this was and Was it a phenomenon? Was it two planets that joined together? You know, all of this kind of stuff. But the main thing that they focused on is that that it was his star. The star representing the one prophesied in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, by Balaam and recorded by Moses in the Torah. It's his star. And the Magi from Babylon, Persia, 
knew that. They knew that before they even made the thousand-mile journey. And I have another Christmas message that I did last year called Babylon to Bethlehem. So I encourage you to look that up if you like, and it's going into more detail with this as well. So just in these basics with the Magi, we learn that there were several anticipated elements of his arrival that are noted in Scripture. Throughout the Tanakh, the Old Testament, many more will come to our attention in the next lesson as we will discuss the approaching king and look through the Old Testament for more evidence of this king born in Bethlehem. I pray that this has been a blessing to you, and Lord willing, you can join us again for more episodes and studies in this series. God bless you today, and I would like to take this opportunity to wish you a very Merry Christmas and very blessed New Year. May the Lord bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.